the big conversation on Germany's energy crisis. Interview with Peter Dupois, episode 72. Welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast, where we speak to the people building a clean energy system by 2050. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. What went wrong with Germany? Europe's leader in renewable energy is now building LNG terminals to make up for lost Russian gas. Germany had no LNG terminals before Russia's war in Ukraine. Now it's making deals in the Middle East and building LNG terminals. This activity exposes how much Russian gas was used to make the miracle of the energy venda. Germany's rollout of renewables in the energy transition where it got away, got rid of coal and nuclear, or almost, as we will discuss. In this conversation, as you'll hear with Peter Depois, he's the E3G Senior Policy Advisor on the Fossil Transition Team. We have a broad discussion on the background to Germany's energy transition and the switch away from Russian gas. We also delve into the world of EU politics and the Fit for 55 package. I've titled this episode as the big conversation on Germany's energy crisis for a reason. Peter was kind enough to sit with me back in October of 2022. So it's been a few weeks, but this has weathered very well, our conversation. And he shared his knowledge on how well Germany and the EU are dealing with high gas and electricity prices and the impact this has had on the energy transition. Our conversation, this is why I label it as the big conversation, covers a wide field of the energy issues. I was really impressed by Peter's knowledge of both the policymaking process and the balancing act that politicians straddle. He was also very knowledgeable, he is very knowledgeable, about the workings in Brussels. I've done minimal editing, as I usually do, uh, because usually I screw up when I edit. But this episode unfolds in a gentle conversation style where, where a lot of topics are discussed. They're both clearly connected and other times maybe it seems a bit random, but we do make progress over the hour. By the end, I'm convinced you'll have a greater understanding of the politics behind Germany's energy transition and a new perspective on energy security that the German government holds. As Peter describes, maybe Poland and its cautious stand against Russian energy interests was justified. Certainly, Germany and the EU are now adopting the Polish energy security position, and we have a lot more to say about this in our conversation. Before moving on, we have big news this week. As I mentioned last week, we are launching the Repowering Leadership in European Energy and Food Summer School. This is done with the Central European University Summer University Program and with the Open Society University Network. You can find a link to the call for applications in the show notes. It's going to be fantastic at the end of July 2023. So get your application in before I think February 14th is the deadline. A final note, this interview is done for my current role as an Open Society University Network Senior Fellow at Chatham House, the Royal Institute of International Affairs. Funding was generously provided to produce the podcast. I got a whole bunch of episodes I'm still going to be getting out in 2023, so stay tuned for those. And now for this week's episode. I'm here today with Peter DePaus. He's the E3G Senior Policy Advisor on Fossil Transition on the Fossil Transition Team. Uh, Peter, to start off, uh, first I want to say thank you for making the time to be on the My Energy 2050 podcast. Thank you. Okay, great. Now it's a good start. But uh, my first question is really um, working here at E3G. How d- how did you get this job? Because part of my audience are, are students and. Um, people that are interested to move into energy, and I would say the environmental sector as a whole. And how, how did you end up here? <laughs> that's a, that's a slightly potentially longer story, but I, I've I've um, I've a background in in uh, conservation science or policy, and I I've I've started out working at an environment NGO in Brussels, um, and and. Once you get into sort of the broader environmental agenda, then climate and energy is one of the biggest topics, fights that's going on. Uh, and yeah, that's how I sort of got sort of gradually into into the topic of energy and, and, and climate. But it, it was through a, a background in, 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 in fact, forestry conservation, uh, then policy, then broader green agendas. Okay, excellent. And um, for those that don't know, could you maybe describe a little bit about E3G itself 
as an organization and what, what right. they do. Right. So, mm-hmm. so Ifrig is a is a we call ourselves a European think tank. Um, we're we're headquartered in uh, in the UK, but we really work um, in the whole of Europe. We got offices in uh, Brussels, Berlin. We got a, an office in Washington as well, which. Since the uh, Democrats got back into power, has grown um, a lot, and they have a lot more to do okay, uh, yes. than before. Um, and then we have an, uh, uh, quite a number of associates around the world that we work closely with. Um, so we have a global focus or global perspective, but we, we really work through the European and now to a large extent the US, <clears throat> trying to shape basically global climates. Uh, policy uh, and, and and from there we're getting into topics like energy, clean economy, broader green finance, uh, and 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 the area I'm working on is really uh, the, the, well, previously the, what was started off as a coal to clean transition uh, program, but it's really become a, a fossil to clean transition program. Uh, yeah. Um, so b- more broader than just coal. Um, so I think one of the things we've noticed when, when we started off the work on the coal transitions and that gas was, and I think we're going to talk about that a lot more yes. shortly, um, was still widely seen and believed to be by many a, a transition fuel. Uh, and um, yeah, so, so the more we advance on the coal phase out, we realize we need to address the coal to gas transition risk. Yes much more explicitly and that's where we're, we're at now so we're trying to basically go away from just getting out of coal to basically getting out of all fossils our work is focused on the power sector okay yes um but uh yeah the 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 um the, yeah the, the the approach we're taking is that once you want to decarbonize the power sector through electrification that can help you electrify a lot more of the economy as well mm-hmm. and so when we're talking about phasing out gas um so maybe we'll talk within a European context on this. Um, when we talk about phasing out gas within the within the EU, is it perceived? Maybe we'll we'll avoid the the Russia question and the, and the gas for for the moment, yeah. but which for only a moment we can't avoid it for long. But is that seen to be happening um, quite quickly, or we have kind of have pre-war and post or well, middle war? Mm-hmm. I think we're. So I, th- I think w- one thing always really important to point out is that energy policy was always a national competence, right? So the EU's mm. involvement in energy was always um, indirect through, you know, climate policy, clean energy promotion policy, etc. But your choice of your energy mix, particularly on questions like nuclear or not, are, are very much national competence. So I think the EU um, conversation on this was always dominated by the sort of that dynamic, You'll stay out of that. Yes, attitude by member states. Um, and one of the interesting things is that when when we realised that Europe was actually getting out of coal, mm-hmm. I mean, there's been a huge decline in coal power generation in Europe. It was the gas industry that was speaking most loudly about that and cheering it on and saying, "Look, yes, we're here. here. We are. We're going to take over." Um, so, um, but but it's not an EU. It wasn't an EU conversation. It was very much a scattered national different dynamics and gas was always and, and, and I think the gas industry has been always very successful in positioning themselves as a uh, as, as a bridge fuel um, I always said that's just I mean bridge is just the wrong metaphor it's, it's it's a ramp it's it's just it's just going down a little bit okay the the, the, the length of the ramp going down is a little bit longer than coal Yes, it doesn't make you a bridge. Okay, right? That's yes. just still, you're still you're still going down. You're just going down a little bit later than coal. Okay, yes. But I think gas has always been very successful in positioning themselves as no, we're the bridge, we're the transition. You're gonna need, it. and um, and I think that just that's the one thing that's that just changed overnight. Um, I, I mean, of course, once that war, you know, and, and I will say explicit escalated. It didn't it didn't start in February, right? It, it just Yes, got it, it, it expanded um, massively. Um, of course, a lot of people are saying, "Well, we've been warning you all the time about Russia." Yes, it's true. Um, but this, it had to come to this before Europe actually woke up and realized how bad things were. Yes, and of course, what it did is it, it completely destroyed the whole notion that gas was there as a bridge fuel. Yes. And I think this is 
one of the big dilemmas that you, you, you have now is you know, you know the, the whole business model of Germany of, of being, being an export master of, of being a big producer was all you know hinging on on since the 70s since they replaced coal with gas from Russia depending on that cheap gas from Russia and the, the, an, an obvious new business model isn't there yet and Germany thought they were going to have years yes but it's decades it's, to change that yeah it's so obvious now that how dependent Germany was on Russian gas it's Or, I mean it, it was always obvious I think okay Germany just managed to get away with doing it regardless of all the criticism that they received mm -hmm. they've been very very good in just blending out you know I mean when, when we were I've started here, um, I think, four years ago. Um, when we tried to sort of cautiously point out that there may, be, there may be other things you might want to worry about other than building more gas pipelines, Nord Stream 2, we tried to be very subtle. Yeah, okay. Um, because we, we knew if you were going to be very clear about, look, it's a stupid idea, don't do it, then you lose the... You yes. lose the attention, you lose the focus, you're, 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 you're the people in the foreign office and other... It was so deeply ingrained. This, uh, th this is we. This is the way we do it. This is a German problem. We know better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There was no way of getting through there, uh, and that I think is is changing now. It's not going easily, by the way. I think a, what, what you, a lot of the, the, the debate in Germany right now, a lot of this almost the frustration people have with the, the war, um, particularly from SPD, is a lot of people just finding it very hard to admit they. They made a mistake. I mean, Schultz just now has gone uh, even on record saying, "I always knew they were going to weaponize energy," which <laughs> is is really bizarre because he was actually, as a finance minister, he even offered there was a point he offered one billion euros of support to LNG terminals to bribe off Trump Jeez. imposing sanctions on Germany. It's all recorded. I mean, yeah, yeah, like we all know what they were. But so the so he's so just I, I guess you know the. the A lot of people are having a really hard time pivoting away from what they've been doing into yes. where we are now, and that's still very much going on. Um, it, does this explain why Germany is planning to build so many LNG, well, like two or three LNG terminals? I think, to be honest, I, I think that was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. Like, okay, so mm -hmm. no Russian gas, where's gas? It's LNG, let's get it. The thing that hasn't been thought through is that if you if your approach is replacing your Russian gas one on one with LNG and think everything can continue as normal, that that's not going to happen. And I think that's yeah. what they're starting to slowly realize. I mean, Habeck went on record a little bit a little while back ago, saying um, uh, complaining about the high prices being charged by friends like the US. <laughs> Yes. Um, which, which went down really badly with a lot of people who said, well, I'd be happy there's any gas for you. Yes, yes, yes. Um, <clears throat> but he thought, he seemed to think it was a good idea to make those comments. So I think that realization is sinking in a little bit too late, too slowly, but it seems to be sinking in that that's not a viable strategy. That's not a way for Germany's whole business model to, to have a future. It's not going to run on expensive LNG. You yeah. need something different. Um, I think Germany is getting ready to go into a sort of, we, we need 100% renewable power sector. They're accelerating on that. The question, how do you make sure that is actually enough for a, you know, completely decarbonized, fossil-free yes. industrial power uh, that they want to remain, that hasn't been, that is, that's being discussed, it's being thought about, but it's not at all clear yet i think how that will okay how that is will this where hydrogen comes into play or i think this, 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 the, this the explains gas. why germany is so obsessed with, mm -hmm. obsessed with hydrogen and and yeah. looking everywhere around the world to get it yeah i think but again you know the, the fact there is no it's it's completely unclear whether that is at all going to be an alternative in terms of you know just the mechanics of the of the export do you do go for pipelines do you do shipping how much of it what's are the economics of it yes none of that has been cleared and it's not at all clear that that will actually happen yes i think the um for respect was i think it was irena who did an interesting analysis basically said the, the global hydrogen market 
is not going to be like the global gas market. Margins will be very low. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be a lot of incentive for countries to do a lot of trade in hydrogen itself. It's much more likely people are going to, the ones who are going to produce a lot of hydrogen will, I would say, that they'll use that to build up their own industries, to, you know, develop their own green steel, the other, uh. and then, you know, you trade in a high value added products. Some people seem to speculate that, you know, you could transform hydrogen again into ammonia and then that's something you could transport. But again, you lose a lot of energy in the process, uh, meaning it's going to be yes. quite expensive. Um, so it's, yeah, I, th- I think that the, uh, the German obsession with hydrogen explains that, for me, it's more of a signal that that, that sort of whole, you know, debate on, on, on its future as an industrial power hasn't been hasn't hasn't concluded at all yet i think it's just starting and yeah like i said at the beginning uh, they, they thought they were going to have 10 15 years to figure it out and now they need to figure it out in like months yeah a few years yeah. i mean the the um the um the, the, the commission that so the german approach is always if you need to solve something you appoint a commission and they just had a guest commission that made a proposal on how to implement the uh, or what what they call a gas price cap mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things they said they've just brought out a first report on Monday morning very early after spending the whole weekend arguing <laughs> over it uh, one of the things they said when they presented the report is we had to make an assumption about what is a new normal gas price we need to factor in yes into the future and yeah they said that was a really hard question so it was, it was a really important part of their deliberation and then they Okay, once that because they need to know how much it costs exactly I mean, so you need to start support. support yeah exactly so uh-huh. so th- they had to make some assumptions on that and they but they were very explicit the message basically is well um this is what we think you're going to have to get used to yes we're going to give you help for the short term for anything that goes above it but if you're not able to, if you're not able to cope with those new prices you can't get used to that you might need to rethink your Wow. your future here yes yes uh so so i think that that's where it starts to yeah i mean but real does this put it maybe we can talk about the energy venda um does this put it in different light then both in terms of like because this was always the big story i would say internationally look at what germany's doing on renewable solar and yeah. wind and then it kind of covered up this gas reliance growing gas reliance yeah uh, russian gas <clears throat> reliance and but then now industry, maybe I'll just end it like that because I really want to go back to the industrial uh, policy or yeah. impact on the industry. But with the energy venda, because the, the industry wasn't involved in that too, or so much or Well, I mean, me. I think <laughs> I think the energy venda was always, um, I mean, I think that the, 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 the big achievement of the energy venda was that it made renewables cheap. It, it, it helped create and scale renewables and that and that I think is is one of the probably biggest historical achievements Germany has made because this is what's and China helped a lot as well of course but yes um, that they, they did a lot of heavy lifting you know brought down the cost curves and puts us into a situation where this is now available for the whole world okay right yes. to have that cheap and cheap renewables I think the whole irony of Germany's any given is that they they did that in order to get rid of coal. But then they, if, if you look at some of the growth graphs of, of, of for example, solar in Germany, it was, it was going up. You know, it was it was it was an exponential growth curve, and then it collapsed in the early tenth. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to say it either. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 2012. Okay. <laughs> It's twenties. This is when you can start. Yeah, start actually using, using it. it. No, yeah. no, so, totally um, so there was a, there was a real collapse uh, for a variety of reasons. Some were linked to you know uh, problems with grid developments, permitting, etc. But also political opposition. So there was a real pushback against you know faster growth of of renewables in Germany. Mm-hmm. So in a given in Germany, it was never a sort of done deal or a you know. There's a huge. I mean, there was always, and, and in particular around the question of how how long do you stick with your coal and your gas okay. assets. Coal was incredibly sensitive in Germany because of the political yes. structure concentrated in a few regions. Uh, so um, very powerful, dominant utilities that um, 
had no intention whatsoever to <laughs> yes stop burning coal them. and closing and uh, mm-hmm. one, one of them even put a new coal plant online like three years ago um so you know it, yeah. it was it was uh, so, so it was never sort of a the picture was always it wasn't very black and white i mean it was a there was a big step forward but then right when renewables were getting cheap and germany could actually benefit from the whole they they've they really sort of missed out on that they've they've been holding back on their okay renewable ambition replacing um not just nuclear but, but all, all also the fossil and gas sources of renewables that's that's uh-huh. where basically i always talk about a lost decade germany mm-hmm. has had uh and that's where gas basically came in okay okay and that's where uh-huh. you know gas dependencies actually went up coal kept going down renewables were going up but not far enough Yes, to actually also replace gas, and that's where, and I think this this government is trying to re- course correct there. I mean, they are definitely trying to, um, uh, you know, pick up where you know where things started dropping off ten uh, years ago. Yeah, it's a very steep growth path they need to get the country on, and a lot of this, a lot of the issues that I mentioned before, of course, are still there in terms of like permitting and and. Just, just securing the whole supply chain. Um, um, other things to be said about that. Maybe we can come back to later. But um, so that that's a huge task the government has at its hands, and they were going to go for that. They were going to do that anyway. That was sort of the big plan okay. of the Greens. The, um, and I think what the war has done basically is it's it's um, it's it's accelerating that. I think Germany has said, well, we're going to respond to this by, I mean, in, in, in autumn, uh, sorry, autumn, Easter. At Easter, they brought out a package that said, we're going to aim for a 100% renewables or near 100% renewable energy system, mm-hmm. uh, a power system, sorry. Yes. Power system by 2035. The, the final law that, that, that transposes that is, is not explicitly any longer saying 100% renewables by 2035, but it does include all the elements that will deliver it so okay. germany is is going to go on that track it is responding to that mm-hmm. so I, I think i think to some extent you can say yes the energy event is back but okay. they lost 10 years yeah and we're paying the price for that now in terms of um you know the energy crisis we have and um and of course the whole nuclear debate right now which is you know uh, yes <laughs> it's just three plants and and you know it's 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 uh it's it's not a it's not a good look to be honest for the greens. Okay, uh, that, mean, that they're arguing to still shut down the nuclear or how much know. they want to shut down the nuclear and are willing to actually accept. Then uh, I think in Lower Saxony they are even now arguing with we're going to have a few oil ships. Oh, okay, okay, uh, bringing oil to 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 replace the nuclear. So I mean, it's, it's like burning the oil. Yes. What's wrong with that? That's how they did it in the seventies or sixties and fifties, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. I think I think the, if the Greens had just said, "Look, look, we don't like it, but mm-hmm. this is an emergency situation. We'll let it run for another year, two years, and then in return for that, get some concessions from the Liberals, like okay. speed limits and you know bigger spending, more fiscal space to spend more, invest more, and yes. you know that would have been smarter politics. I think. Yes. Um, yes. It would have still let. You know the, the nuclear phase out would still have happened, um, and the whole debate would have been. But now it's 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 really yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in this last decade then because um, I know we should get to some of these questions, but yeah. but it almost goes to that because this last decade, who who was industry pushing for the for the gas rather than going with renewables, or how how did gas become such an important well, I think, part? I think industry was. I mean, the, the gas story starts a long time before that. Okay. That was part yes. of the whole Ostpolitik. Yes. Um, Germany was, <clears throat> you know, a lot of its mines were, st- were, were stopped producing in the 60s, 70s, lost their competitiveness and yes. had to look for alternatives. And then, of course, they made a very bold... <laughs> yes, the Soviet Union. ...process and said, we're going to get it from Russia, uh, from Soviet Union yes. at the time. Yeah. Um, and, of course, it worked for a number of decades. And, of course, that's that's then... Um, that becomes a really big deal for particularly the Social Democratic Party that at the time pushed mm-hmm. for that against a lot mm-hmm. of opposition from other countries. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, you know, you had like almost direct pipelines going from the from the field into the factory where they were using it, like in the, in the case of yeah. BASF in the in the Rhine area. So I mean, that that just um, worked really well for them, allowed them to produce all sorts of stuff, you know, create a trader surplus and yes. sell that into the rest of the world, rest of Europe. Um, so that was already there. That 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 whole dependency on gas. I think what. Um, so I always say the best way is to compare it with the the, the, the frog in the in the pan that you know when you, you turn okay. off the temperature slowly a little bit a little bit then yes you don't really respond so you know when when they invaded Chechnya yes okay that's horrible but Ow. yes <laughs> far away and you know yes uh, but then Georgia happened Syria happened Crimea happened yes. like there were all these sort of <laughs> hints. <laughs> Hints <laughs> that Russia's not going in the right way. You, you, you might, you might want to rethink these things, but yeah. but it, it just totally did not. Those hints were just always sort of explained away as well. You know, Russia has legitimate interests and it's legitimate and it's fine, and they're, they're, we should always expect you know take their point of view. And all of those people who are still very active in the debate right now, arguing for you know. Ukraine to give up its, some of its territories or not to give weapons or drop the sanctions. I mean, it's... Okay, yes, yes. There's a whole ecosystem. So of, there's still, there's political pressure for that opinion, for that approach in Germany. I mean, it's, I would say it's it's more in the fringe now. I mean, okay. the, the people who push for these things are generally seen as slightly fringe. Yes, But yes. The, the, I mean, the way the media system works, that fringe voices do get a lot okay, of and oxygen amplified. and... and mm-hmm attention and they do those views do get shared by particularly SPD uh, yeah. in, in, in the coalition and that's what's I think also one of the reasons that that, that Germany has been acting very hesitantly and um, uh, and my sense is and my, my suspicion has been that it's also linked to a, a, a assumption that at some point Germany may go back to getting Russian gas I think yes. that that did I suspect that has been. I, I think they're away from that now. I think they've understood that's not going to happen. But I think definitely in the first months that was. Yes. Yeah. This is just maybe temporary and not complete. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. So. So to just come back to your question on on the last decade, I think yes. the gas option was always there. It was, you know, well established, mm-hmm. uh, an, an easy. Yeah, it's green. It's an easy option. They were very good in selling themselves. We're not as dirty as coal um, and um, and renewables. It's all complicated. There's a lot of planning issues. A lot of yes, um, uh, you know, you get all the local resistance. You need to work on the grid. There are all sorts of you know convenient reasons to say, well, you know, we're going to take it easy there. There were also measures put in place that you know. Things were, 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 you know, there, were, there was a cap on the auctioning of solar capacities uh, for a long time that people mm-hmm. were ever trying to get rid of. There were actual measures put in place, like these sort of planning rules that don't allow wind power to be okay. built close to settlements, and then settlements sometimes define as like five houses. Yes, <laughs> eliminates half most of the country. So there were all sorts of things that, uh, you know made it easy to hold back on the renewables and made it politically easy to, you know, go with the, you know, the cool aid of gas as transition fuel. Yes. Um, the big fight in the sort of climate movement and energy scene was on coal for good reasons. I mean, yeah. Germany has a lot of lignite. <laughs> okay, yes. And, and, and still. So that, that was the... Um, <clears throat> and I think the, the compromise, again, was a very slow, expensive phasing out of coal right up, right up until 2038 was the initial plan. Uh, and they're still trying to, I mean, this government has said they're going to move that forward to 2030, but they're still in the process of negotiating that with okay. utilities and regions. It's not completely done deal yet. Um, although it's, I think, with, with all the you know actual developments going to happen in the marketplace, renewables, it's what's going to happen. But the, the actual, you know... Formal yes. agreement with the regions that they should start planning for getting out of coal by 2030 hasn't been and start building the power the infrastructure for the yeah. replacement exactly uh-huh. so that 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 is um, that is uh, still ongoing 
Um, and and of course, you know, if you, if you do if you have a very slow call phase out, then you have a long, <laughs> yes, a very long off ramp for for it's, gas. It's in the meantime, in relation, it's cheaper. I don't I don't want to like label coal as cheap because there's still the ETS price, <laughs> well, but yeah. uh, it's secure and stable at the moment. I think I think that's that's. I mean, cheap. It's not. I mean, it's it's. Well, the 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 hard call is 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 expensive because it's it's traded globally and and yeah. again markets are as tight as as LNG. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the problem there is more that um, the, 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 yeah the 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 mixed signals Germany is getting given okay. to the rest of the world, right? So yes. some of that hard call was still coming from Russia. It's no longer since the summer. Um, all German mines are closed, so now they're basically going to Colombia or South Africa and oh, other countries and saying, okay. like, oh, actually, we do need a bit more of your coal. Uh-huh. At the same time, we're trying to help you all get out of coal, just like we're doing. So, of course, yes. that is... So there's no 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 mines operating in Germany? Hardcore mines are hard not coal, operating. Yeah, hardcore, yeah, hardcore. So all the right. mines still operating are lignite. Okay, lignite. And those okay. are the ones that, of course, are saying, yeah, we're, um, we're still... Um, we're, I mean, it's, it's local, it's... Those arguments are being made. Okay. Um, most of them, the problem is most of them don't actually meet, you know, environmental standards. Uh, there's a huge water issue. I mean, the holes they've dug up right now are basically impossible to fill with. Yeah. with there's just <laughs> no water in this area. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so they had, they're, 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 you know, none of those issues have changed or gone away. So, um, I think that the, the bigger problem with that region particularly in Eastern Germany, is that they just, um, they're just, just particularly local politicians have dug themselves so deep into a hole of saying, look, mm. if we close down the coal, this is the end of the region. Yes. It's a disaster. We shall never do it. Yes. We'll only ever do it because we're being forced to it by those people in Berlin, the Greens, the, yes. you know, um, and if you force us to do it any faster, then, you know, the far right will win because, you know, they're just, you know, they don't care anyway about reality, so they'll just go and promise ridiculous things. And yes. some people will go for that. Um, <clears throat> so it's really hard for the politicians in the region to, um, to to pivot and away from it's a disaster to actually, you know, life's going to be fine without coal and yeah, yeah, it would be <laughs> lots better. Of opportunity. But, but maybe this takes us to the EU policy realm, basically, then. Right. And, and now in the fit for 55 or the repower eu it's all there's a, the um i just had it the climate um transition fund that's not great um just transition fund. just transition fund yeah. um and p- part of some of that money a lot of the money will will go to regions like that that are transitioning away from yeah. say lignite yeah. and how, how do you see this impacting especially this is a great example is eastern germany and so ju- what's this relationship well, we, we're Eastern Germany is not so strong because it's mostly funded by Europe German funds. Okay. So the Just Transition uh-huh. Fund is really almost a a European wide solidarity mechanism for some of the countries that don't have the means to you know pay for those kind of things like Germany did. Okay. It, it doesn't necessarily need to be as expensive as Germany. I think Germany made it expensive simply uh, by way of you know how they organized the negotiations. So it wasn't just a compensation for phasing out coal was also a part of the broader solidarity that richer regions okay provide to poorer regions and and um uh, so so the just transition fund is really for a lot of the coal regions in central and eastern european countries okay and that's where it actually you, you do see it making a difference like one in one of the coal regions in poland eastern wielska polska yes um, very early on came out and said, yeah, we're going to be out by 2030. We have a whole plan here. We're going to turn ourselves into an energy family and big, big ambitious plans. And so the money was there. Another region around the Turo mine in, uh, I think that's still Silesia, mm-hmm. um, sort of took the opposite approach and said, over our dead body, we're just going to sue everyone and fight everyone to expand this mine. And <laughs> yes. Uh, and then the commission said, well, then no just transition funding for you guys. Yes. Um, yes. So I think that is helping those regions at least want to do something to actually progress. And then those who sort of stay stuck in denial, they'll, you know, run into the wall that, you know, it's okay. going to emerge at okay. some point. 
So the Just Transition Fund has been helping. The other thing that's been helping is the recovery funding, actually. So what you see in countries oh. like Romania, Bulgaria is that, um, well, Bulgaria is still an ongoing discussion, but Romania, uh, recovery funding has been basically the way in which Romania has said, yeah, we're getting out of coal by 2030 and we're going to use the recovery fund to invest in the <clears throat> coal regions into alternatives, etc. Yes. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, it's, it's more to benefit the Eastern member states then. Yeah. Uh-huh, for this and then but are there and uh, because actually this comes up a few times with people that i know that are looking at projects are there some good examples is germany people uh, yeah i get i get requests for this uh, is germany like a is there a good example of a region that has redeveloped that has shifted away or is in the process of shifting away where they took the the, the money and they used it well to transition a region or foster new yeah, a new economy, or is it really a, still a struggle? Yeah. Um, so I, I think, I mean, this really goes sort of into the sort of some really fundamental questions about how realistic is it that a region that has been very specialized in one way, yes, um, mostly for geographical reasons, coal regions are coal regions because there happens to be coal in the ground. Yes. So people move there and build whole sorts of structures. Then on top of that, you take away the coal. Why would that? Why would there still be a reason for that region to be the place to do everything you did because there was the coal? Yes. Um, and I think there is a bit of a high bar being put there for coal regions. Like if you look at transitions in the past, every region that sort of came to blossom, flower on you know, particular industry linked to a certain technology, linked to certain mm-hmm. advantages certain regions had, at some point went into decline and then they just declined and things moved on and people move on. And, you know, yes. the place that used to be rich yeah. is less rich. So I think that's been... So I think the whole notion that in the case of coal regions, which we're trying to close because otherwise the whole planet's going to fry. <laughs> yes. We go with a sort of, well, we can only do this when everyone here has the exact same job in the same field, in the same place, and is happy about it. And until every single one of the coal miners has that, we're not going to close anything. Is It's a ridiculously high bar that I think um, has been put up there in purpose by some of the unions who've been using that to try and yeah. just delay things. So I think when you talk about what's a good example, I think you first of all need to start about well, what is a realistic Mm-hmm. option for a region and you know even even western germany where the hardcore mining already went into massive decline decades ago and last ones closed a few years ago um yeah i mean some regions are some parts of that are doing okay some are less okay and that's that's you know a very centrally located um highly populated lots of infrastructure yes. relatively wealthy region of germany yes and not all of those bits are still doing fantastic as well Mm -hmm. so you know is that a good example well i don't know but i mean at least it's it tells you about what what's 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 a plausible scenario yeah and i think you you know you you also need to be a bit more realistic in terms of what you tell people it's like well you know if jobs you know here here in the east now tesla has opened a new factory you know it needs about 10 20 up to twenty thousand people maybe to work there But it's a two-hour drive from where the people w- live who work in the coal mines and may not necessarily be the exact skill profile that they're looking for in, in, in a Tesla factory as what you need in a coal mine. Yes. Um, is that okay? People yeah. to ask, expect people to start you know, commuting for two hours or move there or, you know, I mean, industrial, you know, these kind of landscapes change. Yes. They always will. And I think, you know, East has a huge potential. I mean, what you do see happening is that Eastern Germany is starting to become almost like a new center of electromobility. So it's not just Tesla. Oh, okay. It's a lot of battery producers, car producers, Volkswagen is building its electric cars in the East. Um, there's a link to ICT because uh, with electric cars, the, the software is much more important in a way yes. than the hardware. Yes. So, um, so there's definitely industrial future for Eastern Germany. But it may not be exactly like all the in the exact same place with the same type. So you're going to have to ask mm. people to and help them to 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 adjust and ex- 
and offer them options there. But I think beyond that, um, yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, what can you do in a former coal mining region? Yeah, how, how many yeah. people can stay, or what, what can the local economy support? Um, and also, what 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 are your, so so one of the big plans for them is to turn this into a massive lake district and turn it into a big recreational area. Okay. The trouble is, there's just not going to be enough water for that to fill those lakes. Uh, so I think I think I've heard of this plan before, actually. So so I didn't know there wasn't enough water for it. Okay. No. It's, okay. It's it's yeah. uh, it's uh, so if you don't have enough water, then you're going to recre- you're going to create a swamp, which is made fine for. <laughs> Fine for nature, but that may not be what the region has in mind. Right, right, right. Okay, all right. Well, okay, but let's let's shift yeah. a little bit. Um, sure. I'm, I'm just wondering um, uh, more on the the EU policy side of things. We we how how um, let's go to gas, but then let's transition away from gas. Is what I'm trying yeah. to say is because the EU was considering gas as. Uh, we'll just say as a greener fuel, as you know, it's, it's a viable transition, transition fuel. fuel. Yeah. Um, how much? How much did that? How much influence or kind of this perspective was communicated through? I would say the European Commission or the European Parliament that gas was a bridging fuel and was acceptable. And yeah, that's my question. I mean, like I said, so energy policy is very much shared competence or more national so so it was always indirect but i think one of the ways that came out most clearly was in the uh, infrastructure planning Mm -hmm. um so the the eu has this has this bunch of regulations that regulate and what not just energy but also road railway telecom infrastructure so the energy infrastructure it's got 10e trans-european networks of Mm -hmm. um priority projects yeah and then under those you you identify priority projects and for example what you'll see there is a huge um, over-representation of gas projects, which has been a known problem for years. And every time these PCI lists were revised, everyone said there's too many gas projects in there. And the commission said, yeah, we sort of know, but it's the member states who are proposing them. What can we do? But I think that shows you sort of, it wasn't, I mean, the, the problem was both in Brussels and at the national level. So member states mm-hmm. just sent their wish lists. Oh, I see. Full of gas projects. Commission systematically overestimates projections of gas consumption. That is a very uh-huh. big mistake the commission did. Mm-hmm. The other big mistake that we have is that the 10E regulation effectively mandates the gas network operators to provide those estimates of gas oh. consumption. So you're basically mm-hmm. asking Turkey, when should we have tris- Christmas dinner? You keep saying, well, the year after. You have to. <laughs> yes, yes, okay. Because gas... But So, they, they, mm-hmm. so, so, yeah. so we, we, we've been pointing out this for years, as you read like, you're... you're <laughs> your gas estimates assume we're not actually going to achieve any of our climate targets. Yes, yeah, especially if we keep building the infrastructure yeah, for it. Yeah. yeah, so one of the one of the mm. things we've been pushing in, in the revision, the reform of the 10E regulation that's going on right now is to say, well, you need to... Mm-hmm. Don't put those people in charge of yes. making those estimates, right? That's yes. The, that's where it goes wrong. That's where we... So I've, so that, that those are the things where you basically see that this, this notion of, yes, gas is transition fuel sort of having material impact. Um, and of course, then, you know, the commission has to defend that because in the end it's their proposal. So then yes. that's, of course, where they go into, well, yeah, but I mean, it's a bridge, right? So. Yeah, we can we can do it. Yeah. And, but there's probably pressure, there's realization on the part of member states that they want it. And so they don't exactly. want to maybe challenge exactly. it too yeah, much. Yeah, no, that's why I say uh-huh. it's not yeah. just the commission. Yes, it's a, yes. So, I mean, it, it's a design problem in the sense that Gas mm-hmm. network operators are mandated to yes. make those decisions. Yes. You should not ask them. You should get an independent body to do that and yes. say, this is a realistic estimate. That's, by the way, also where the whole hydrogen-ready yeah. nonsense comes from. Because mm-hmm. when you know th- that became the argument, well, yeah, okay, we don't need it all for gas, but it's going to be hydrogen-ready, right? So it's all going to be fine. Just keep building this stuff. And so what about, let, let me just stop you right there. Yeah. What is this hydrogen ready? Because well, no one knows. That's the point. <laughs> okay. It's just, it just sounds good. It's going to be hydrogen ready. No one knows whether we're going to use hydrogen in that, like the whole notion that we don't even know where that hydrogen is going to be produced and where it's going to be used and what's the infrastructure to get it from where A to B. It's all completely not there yet. We have, so I think in, in here in Germany, Agora in Given has, 
so let's take a pragmatic approach. They said, we're probably going to have clusters. So um, you're going to have production on the not too far away from where that stuff is being produced. So let's okay. de let's develop hydrogen clusters then, and then local infrastructure that organizes that. Yeah. And then they made a did they did a mapping exercise uh, a few years ago. So like, well, if you're going to put money into hydrogen infrastructure, at least do it like that instead of just yeah, spreading it all. Um, which I think is, is it's a pragmatic approach. Um, but apart from that. You know, there's just no, so it's complete, it's, I mean, I think Patrick Reichen, the German state secretary, I think at some point he also said in public, look, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> okay. Just, yeah. Hydrogen no ready. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's. Um, so it reminds me, I bought this washing machine and it has this near field communication, you know, with your phone. It can talk to your phone. I have, have an oh, app. I, I don't have a machine like that. Okay, I, I do. I, it's okay. not like I paid extra because I can control the washing machine with an app on my phone. But it's it's almost like this gimmick to, you know, to to buy it. Oh, you can control it on your phone, your washing machine, and having a gas system. Okay, it's, maybe it's not quite the same thing, but it's hydrogen ready. It sounds good. Or gas is a bridging yeah. fuel. Yeah. And it's <clears throat> it's a good political industry statement that yeah. the infrastructure we're building, gas, for example will be hydrogen ready or LNG terminals right. will be hydrogen ready. Yeah. But is that future coming is what nobody knows. No then. Knows. So I think that that's mm -hmm. where you see those kind of, yeah. 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 Overlaps. And then, um, maybe we, we can talk about, uh, fit for 55 and maybe yeah. the transition <clears throat> to repower EU. And these are all kind of big yeah. abstract. So let's see how, well, how we go about this, but. I mean, it's not, mm -hmm. it's not so abstract, right? I mm -hmm. mean, so 55 is just a horrible name that the commission's almost obliged. I mean, I don't know why, but <laughs> it, it sounds like a fitness program, right? Yes, yes. It, if, if, if I could ever get it. <laughs> anyway, it's 55. That's just a label, right? Yeah. What 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 What's under the label is basically a, a whole bunch of EU clean energy laws and regulations that were already mostly on the books and we're just going through revision and mm -hmm. a few things were added or approved but it's effectively a different way of labeling an ongoing revision process of ongoing eu legislation that's it and, okay. and, and all of that most of that was on the books already right we already have renewables directives efficiency energy performance of buildings equity design lulucf etc it's all there yes it's just being revised now and the commission said we'll call it 55 that's the target as part yeah. of this whole new agenda european green deal it was the first time ever the commission put um you made made made, made climate and, and the green agenda its top priority okay it's never happened before the commission has always gone with a simple you know jobs and growth agenda which sort of keeps everyone happy because yes. employers like it because you know um usually means deregulation and industry friendly and the unions like it because it also comes with investment and okay uh, and growth so so that that's sort of easy common denominator political agenda the commission has basically been running with for like 20 years okay uh, so this is the first time they actually make a genuine effort mm -hmm. to prioritize a green transit the green transition get serious about this stuff so i think it's, it is it is a really big deal you shouldn't okay shouldn't sort of be dismissive about it so the fit fit five was just what they thought they were gonna be able to get agreement on with the member states yes. at that point. So I thought 55% reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. And what the EU, the, the other thing I think you always keep in mind is that the EU, in most areas, the EU over promises and under delivers, mm -hmm. but that's not the case in climate. It's the opposite. In climate, the EU actually under promises and over delivers. Okay. So I think, and that's, and that's where then, you know, the sectoral legislation comes in. So we have a climate law that sets a 55% target, but then we have sectoral legislation that also all gets decided through a co-decision, and that's where parliament has more influence. Yes. That's where ambition comes back in. Yes. Climate ambition is set unanimously by the heads of state, which yeah. means it's always very low and very difficult to get, but then you, through the co-decision process, are usually able to go higher. Oh, okay. And, and that's sort of the way... The EU has been rolling for for a while. What then happened is that the war came in, and all the assumptions that were made going into Fit for Fifty Five, including about you know how long we're going to stick with gas and um, yes, all these things, 
were shaken up. And uh, and the commission basically said, right, we need to do this faster. Mm-hmm. So the commission effectively amended its own proposal it had to just put out. Yes. And this is where things get really complicated. I don't even understand how okay. this is working. But basically, it looks like we're going to have two parallel processes whereby the commission is negotiating with parliament and member states separately on the original Fit for 55 proposals for a revised efficiency and renewables directive. Okay. And then again, on those very same proposals for the same group of people, on the basis of the repower EU proposals. Okay. And then at some point, that needs to be brought together into new laws that then will be uh, in the book. So okay. the, the, new re- the, the new adopted revised renewables and efficiency directives, and they will set the ambition for 2030. Okay. So just so unclear then, I mean, so they're going... What you said was they're going to negotiate still on the Fit for 55 packages yeah. um, in different areas like transport, energy efficiency. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there's parallel negotiations on the more ambitious targets for yeah. Repower EU. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that, 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 that will become the... It will replace the Fit for 55. Yeah. Um, okay. And... With with these new targets, um, maybe we can go like energy efficiency. I don't know how much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's let's test your knowledge on this. So, uh, on on energy, yeah, because I know a lot of these areas are very specialized. Yeah. Uh, so it's specialized knowledge of how much uh, work has been done in energy efficiency, and certainly that's a member state competency, just like the other areas. But yeah. it's very specific. So, um, but but I guess my question on this area is for the energy efficiency: uh, what what is the plan, and how does that look to you? So, so on efficiency, there's this directive, the energy efficiency directive, mm-hmm. and and that. Um, <clears throat> for the first time would set a binding target EU-wide and then member states all need to make a contribution to achieving that. And then the EU needs to make sure that adds up to the, the overall binding target. Um, th- this is a big deal. I think, well, again, one of the things to keep in mind is that, when I, and I used to work on this in, in, in back in Brussels, is that the Commission for a very long time tried to push for the one target, one instrument approach. So one climate target, one instrument ETS, mm-hmm. we scrap everything. Yes. No renewables, no efficiency policy, none of that. Okay. No eco-design, no eco-label, energy label, just green crap, get rid of it. Just one. So we we were, at the time I was working at NGL, we were really trying to basically fight our way back in on the efficiency directive, have it there, have it as a target. So first of all, we managed to get that, but only as a non-binding target. Now we're having it as a binding target. Okay. So it's it's sort of slowly being strengthened. That's just my point. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think the level of ambition is okayish. I think that the, the, the trouble with a lot of these policies is that the the, the modeling the commission uses to decide what is a cost-effective optimal target is 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 very much flawed. It, it makes some very strange assumptions about the cost of borrowing. Yes. Interest rates that then um, doesn't work in favor of ambition. Um, okay. I had a former colleague who's now working at Rockwell who always said like the commission assumes it's as it's as risky to invest in efficiency as it is to invest in wartime Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> so they're assuming like a seventy percent interest rate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cover the, so, um, so there's some big flaws behind the way the commission develops these proposals. So mm. ambition, and I think even the ambition they're currently considering like the 13%, which is confusing because it's calculated in a different way. The previous efficiency targets were in the range of 39%, 40% um, primary versus um, end use. Okay. Um, this 13% is a different way of calculating it and it's making it a bit a bit confusing but basically it, it brings you a bit in the higher end of the sort of i think it's sort of equi- it's the equivalent of 40 somewhere in the early tw- 40s um efficiency calculated the old way um which is not not bad but but still the assumption it makes about energy prices in the next 10 years are incredibly yes optimistic 
Yes. We're likely to have much higher energy prices, which would actually also then mean that it's much more cost effective to be much more ambitious on the energy saving side. Um, so there's probably a lot more room uh, for, for, for more action on that. Yes. Um, but I, I, my, my sense is that we're probably going to get, you know, the, the targets that are on the table now. And then, you know, as, as the situation develops, then that we might need to get back to that. Yeah, but now... Okay, I'm just gonna yeah sure. keep 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 it back basically, but but now yeah. energy efficiency completely pays for itself, right? I mean That's now yeah, you can yeah, go yeah, yeah. really ambitious yeah. with these high prices, and knowing that gas is not coming back yeah. to Europe or cheaper or let's say lower price Russian gas is yeah. not coming back to Europe, and even in those countries like yeah. like in Hungary, which continues to rely and want to rely on Russian gas. There's such the security risk is so high yeah. that to build and to maintain their energy system based on Russian gas is, yeah. is foolish. Then, yeah, and so the the case can completely be made. I just express my opinion. Oh, but I, I, completely I'm, I, be made. Yeah, that no, the energy efficiency. No, no, I'm, 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 I'm. No, just yeah. to be clear. I'm, I'm, I'm describing the. Yeah, I know. I, the debate. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm, I completely agree with you. Yeah, on, on but they can really go for an ambitious <coughs> target yeah. and make it happen. Then. Yeah, no, that's that's basically the argument we're putting forward. But but uh, so what I was describing is what we're countering yeah, when we're yeah, making yeah. that argument, which is yes. yeah. But it's all, and and I to be honest, I also think that a lot of people haven't really accepted that point about. Energy prices are going to remain high for, well, basically until we go complete renewables. Yes, um, because because it's fossils that are dry, setting the price, and and as long as long as we've got fossils in the system, that is setting the both the power price and the. But do uh, but do so? Let me ask you some more questions, and then, yeah, yeah, and then we'll start try, trying to finish a little bit. But um, but but maybe. We live in a different world. Do people see that we live in a different world now, where where it's no longer um, well, there's a lot of supply out there. There's limited supply, or people are playing with the price of the supply, like OPEC plus with the price of oil, right? Yeah. Like it, for me, it seems like we're in a different world, and you can't rely on the price of fossil fuels being low anymore. That yeah. you have to take the high price scenario. No, I, I think no, I think that's that's the key question. I think rationally. A lot of people are there, but I, I don't think it's really been internalized or really thought through what that actually means. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's where it gets difficult, you know. And, and I think Eastern Europe is particularly interesting because they, like no others, have understood the security situation we're in with Russia. Yes. And, and I can completely understand the frustration. And I always tell, you know, Germany should just go with it, look, you were right and we were wrong on that and we're sorry and we're going to listen <laughs> yeah. to you from now on. And in return, the Eastern Europeans should tell Germany, look, that's appreciated. Don't ever do that again. In the meantime, you were right about the renewables. Yes, yes. <laughs> Could yes. we yeah. work on that together? And, and I think that's sort of the kind of political rearrangement we need now between West and Eastern Europe is that we need to become much more Eastern European on issues of security and Russia policy. Yes, yes. And we need to become more Western European or German on the issue of energy policy in the ideal sense of the world, uh, the rolling out of the renewables and yes. seeing it as freedom energy as even some people in Poland at some point Yes, said. And I think that's where it's very interesting to see how this debate is going to unfold now in Poland. So how much is that now being internalized? Like, well, actually, yeah. Yeah. Renewables are our way out of this dilemma with, I mean, it can also help us, you know, bring Germany on board on the security question. Yes. If the faster we'll get out of fossil dependencies, the easier it will for all of us be to, you know, have a much more um, realistic approach. Yes. To in this case right now Russia, but we might need just for other countries as well. Yeah. So I think that's the um, yeah that's, that's I think where it's going to be really interesting now for the yeah as it, as it unfolds and maybe the real so maybe it does take people time to realize that the high price these high prices are here to stay for a few but, years and, and it depends on, on on what your domestic resources are. So the Polish coal miners, mm-hmm. for example, apparently from what I've heard, their conclusion from the whole thing is. 
See, you need us. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it was stupid to agree to close the mines even in the late 2040s. That, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Should, it's still should, too soon. Um, so Poland is not. It's not an easy. It's not like the debate has become any easier. But I think the difference is that there is a debate happening in Poland on this, and Poland is actually having some reasonably ambitious, not super, but reasonably yeah. ambitious plans to build out its own domestic renewables base and. Um, uh, my my sense of uh, I would say about I think I think Poland is just going to do exactly what Germany has done, but they're just a mm. bit more, you know, in terms of their power mix. Okay, yeah, yes. where Germany is, you know, maybe ten years ago, and you know they're they're going to just quietly transition, and then at some point they'll probably sort of make it official. Yes, when it's completely convenient, and until then they'll probably be the contrarian. Yes, they've been so far. Yes, wait wait till it's done. And then, um, and, and to be fair, that's how Germany did it. So I, I don't think we should uh, also be too. That's true. That's true. The change. But do you think maybe this gets us into the area of, of solidarity, or how how do you see solidarity developing? Energy solidarity, because this is kind of like the new yeah. new old term, but energy solidarity, because there is this this point in time now. How do you see that developing in the future? Or if you're if you're not optimistic, I'm trying to end. With no, no, optimistic. I think I think I think it's. Um, so first of all, I think there, there's a huge there's a huge um, tailwind on the side of technology. I think Greece just uh, last week had its first five hours, but still okay. moment of of 100% renewables in the power system, like zero coal, zero gas. Um, that's Greece. But I mean, they yeah. got they had like 40% of lignite in a power mix until very recently. Wow. So. Um, and, 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 and you know, so so I, th I think you know we're going to see probably a lot of that kind of developments of of huge growth. I mean, I, th I think we're going to have a huge amount of growth of, of that in in a lot of countries. Um, it could change the dynamics. So, I mean, the, the whole dynamic of Germany versus Southern Europe could change really because, right? Yes. Until now, Germany was lecturing Southern Europe. Oh, we're a yeah, good example and. Yeah should be more like us and then now everyone goes like oh, but you just had cheap gas from Russia that's why you managed to <laughs> sell us all that stuff and yes. <laughs> run a trade surplus yes. so um, so maybe you know Germany's relationship with Southern Europe needs to change in a way that you know it needs to much more look at Southern Europe as an energy supplier for its own industry and then that could rebalance relationships and reset them in a way that are probably much more equitable and and, um, and healthy um so yeah i i i mean but but it's it's very hard to just i mean this is very speculative at this yes. point i think we just need to see how 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 these things um uh how these things play out i think uh you know northern europe will need to start showing a bit more generous solidarity on the issue of you know how do we get through this crisis joint borrowing etc mm -hmm. i suspect that's going to happen in the end i mean Schultz made some what he said last week, he was open to it, then immediately denied it. I guess we'll come to some kind of agreement at some late council session in Brussels. Um, that will, you know, probably, you know, um, show progress there. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's a combination of just trying to sort of do at least the minimal right things in the short term now that improve solidarity, builds trust, and then keep that keep that growth curve going yeah. and then you know you're coming to a situation where you know relationships really can start uh, start maturing and, and 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 growing and I think Ukraine is an in a very interesting example in that respect because they're not just I mean I, th I think you know at some point it becomes like well, we should be happy for them to <laughs> want to join us as a year I mean yeah. I think what they've done for Europe is beyond anything anyone has ever I mean it's 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 incredible and if, if, if they manage to successfully you know win this war protect themselves yes. reconstruct themselves build back using the full potential of their renewable energy sources yes. um, it could it, it could become a massive green driven powerhouse of Europe yes um, going forward, um, the, the wind potential, the solar potential, its its land area is is incredible. Yes. 
Um, so uh, we should we should already start thinking in yes. those terms. Um, fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. I think I think that's where. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. All right, Peter. Thank you so much. I know this yeah. is quite wide and diverse conversation, but but it was an excellent discussion. Thank you. No, thank you. It was great. Great. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We produce the My Energy 2050 podcast to learn about cutting edge research and the people building our clean energy system. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, please share it. And remember, each episode is equivalent to consuming 10 journal articles, one book, and 500 charts on how to implement the energy transition. And you get it all in less, usually, than 60 minutes for each podcast. Guaranteed. I can actually say no other podcast makes this guarantee. The more we spread our message of the ease of an energy transition, the faster we can make the transition. You can follow us on LinkedIn, where we are most active, on the My Energy 2050 page, or on Twitter and Facebook. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.